Hey guys and welcome to episode 12 of Cake and Crime. Minyamavut Jack. Nice try. Minyamavut Katya. But are you not going to sing? No, I'm not going to sing today. I'm not in a singing mood, Katie. Okay. Are you going to ask why? Why? I think you know why. Because <laughs> you're sad. <laughs> so guys, we have, <laughs> we have some news that's come to light recently. Um, how do we say it, Katie? Basically, this time last week, Jack sent me a text saying that him and our other flatmate are moving out, leaving me on my tod. That's how we're going to say it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. I have thought about it since. And um, I reread the text as soon as I sent it. And I think I was being a bit too cutthroat. I was like, I just need to... He was very blunt. I didn't even get any kisses on the end or like, I hope you're okay or anything. I was just... Because I was just in an emotional state. I was like, I just need to do it. I just need to do it. I just need to say it. <laughs> and yeah, it just came across really badly. So... Sadly, to your demise, listeners, I'm sure you're just as upset as we are. Me and Katie are going to be moving out of our flat and going our separate ways. But it's not the end of Cake and Crime. It is not the end of Cake and Crime, that's for sure, because how can it be? It would be just too rude to end this marvellous creation. I've found myself a nice new little studio. Katie has. So, yeah, so what we've done is, I think it's, we decided, I think it's a good time. Oh, what, to move out? Yeah, like, yeah, we have right. had... We've been here... I'm going to get emotional now. We've been here for three years, and we've had... I've been here for four years. Kate's been here too long. Four years and about 400 different housemates. <laughs> and we've just had so many memories in this place, and I feel like now our, the fact that our other housemate, Ben, is moving out with his girlfriend was just the impetus. And I just feel like it's come to a time in our lives where change is always good. So and deep. this has been a chapter of our lives, and now mid to late 20s well 26 and 25 um it's just time to start something else so yeah katie has found a gorgeous place which it got my approval so we basically just got a new recording studio yeah in a studio flat yeah yes exactly in a studio flat so we will be um continuing cake and crime just forcing jack to come and visit me every week which i will come willingly so yeah we're not gonna be living together anymore which is sad but it's not the end, don't worry. So, Katie, moving on from that <laughs> to a more happier time, you've baked this week and you've gone for a gingerbread house. So, there's a, there's a few reasons why I've gone for a gingerbread house. Because it's Christmas, nearly? So, my first, like, craving for one... Yeah? ...was... Jack's just got Jack's obsessed with candles. Oh yeah. And he's got this oh, candle and we had it last year and then he's got it again this year and it's a gingerbread candle and it just smells divine. Just and since you got it, I've just really been wanting gingerbread. It's, it's literally lit now behind your head. I don't know if so I can smell your hair. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if I can smell the gingerbread or the candle, but the candle is so nice. It's, it's been so... making me want gingerbread for like how long have you had it? Like a week. Yeah. But the thing is, it's not even an expensive candle it's the most inexpensive candle i think i've ever bought it's a big jar candle and i think it was like two pound 99 or three pound 99 from home bargains the make is wickford i think i don't actually know but it is just the best smelling candle gingerbread oh so So good i've been craving gingerbread yeah then there is the possibility that this will be jack and i's Last podcast before Christmas, just yeah. because of moving and all it's going to be a very busy, hectic time for us both. Um, so we may or may not be back on your headphones this side of Christmas. Um, so it felt right to do something kind of festive, 
And yeah, so that's basically why I went for nice gingerbread and something a bit different to what we've had. So I I only like semi cheated. I bought a kit, but I still had to make the gingerbread. It wasn't yeah, like did. one of those where the biscuit comes like ready made. No, because I told her just to pop to Aldi because they have pre-made gingerbread houses that look amazing, and she didn't even do that. So I didn't. I went applaud, for Sainsbury's instead. Applauding you, Katie. And I'm it gonna... was like it was like a bit like a packet cake mix. So it just kind of like mixed together, and then I had to like make the things the right shape. Honestly, when I put it together, I thought in like two seconds flat it was going to collapse. But it's actually stayed standing all day until we've just ripped it apart. So I'm pretty impressed with it. Maybe you don't go into like structural engineering, but you did a good job. <laughs> I'll leave that to my dad. Um, yeah, again, it's been staring me in the face today. And I'm, I have some bourbons, 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 whatever bourbon. you want to call it, in my cupboard. So I've stopped myself from eating them all day so I can have this. Katie's got the left side of the house and I've got the right side. <laughs> and we have big pieces. Ooh. That's alright, that. Mm. It's not as gingery as I thought it didn't be. No, but that's not my fault. That's the packet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not got um, the snap that I think poor Hollywood be, would be looking for. I thought that. But I don't like snap. I like the soft. I no, like I the like sta- it. Yeah. I'd, I'd prefer it like this than... So you did really it like crunched. this on purpose, didn't you? Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> mm. I like it a lot. I was just telling Jack someone bought ginger biscuits to work today. So I've been eating ginger-flavoured things basically all day. Mm. I'm and I'm not fed up of it. Always gone for the dunk. Mm. Tea dunk. Any good? Always good. You should always dunk a biscuit in a brew. Cup of tea and a biscuit sorts everything out. World War. Cup of tea. <laughs> Coronavirus. <laughs> Cup of tea. I feel like this is really good because it's not too overwhelmingly sweet. So can I have more of it? I'm getting quite a bit of ginger. Yeah, I'm getting ginger, but for instance, the cake I made last week was really sweet, and this is just quite. Oh yeah. It's nice. I like it. It's nice. Not too sweet. You can but eat what more. it means is you can eat. <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. eat a lot of it. <laughs> so Jack, what crime have you got for us today? So this is the murder of Gemma Hater. So I'm not ranking the crimes with what I think is worse and what's not. Like murder is always awful. But to me, the way these people went about this and took advantage of this certain person, horrendous. Like this person, this person, Gemma, should I say, like just was unaware of what was going on and didn't fight back or couldn't fight back. And they just took advantage of a very innocent victim. So I'm going to start this reading with a... with a statistic. <laughs> I got that out right, right? It is, it is right. It's just the way you really tried really hard. <laughs> Made me laugh. I can say it in my head, just not out loud. So, crimes against people with disabilities have risen by 300% since 2011. Wow. Gemma Hater was a 27-year-old from rugby in Warwickshire. She was autistic, but didn't let this stop her from living an independent life. She lived in a council flat alone, not too far from her family home. Gemma was born into a loving family and had the constant support of her siblings and mother. Gemma struggled through life and just couldn't seem to fit in. Her disability held her back in some ways and her family struggled throughout Gemma's early life to first get a diagnosis to find out what it was that was wrong with Gemma and what was causing her disability. They felt like they were being neglected by the state as they put her through 
regular schools when Gemma clearly wasn't capable of being in a regular school. She was struggling very much so. So because she was abandoned by the state, um, they couldn't really work out what was up with her until she was in her mid-teens, I think. Um, and it wasn't until this late on that she was then transferred to a special needs school where they could help her with her learning and dedicate things just for her and suit it around her and her needs. After she left school, her family wanted her to be put in supported housing, but um, the government didn't think she fit into this category and didn't think she needed supportive housing. And her parents believe and her family believe that if this was the case, then Gemma would still be alive today because they, in a supported housing, though they don't mother you entirely, they keep tabs on like who's visiting you and help you with your finances. And it's just a bit more yeah. secure rather than being left on your own. So Gemma's mother was at first apprehensive of Gemma living alone and wasn't sure she could cope with everyday tasks without any support. But there was nothing she could do as Gemma was an adult and was legally her own guardian. Gemma was very strong-willed and didn't like so much that her family would constantly check in on her and question her about what she was doing or who she might be hanging around with. Um, just to let you know, like her mental age is probably somewhat a lot younger than her, so she's 27 and she's probably got, I'd say the mental age, probably like a young teenager, mm-hmm. if that, just so you can get an idea of what she was kind like. Kind of mature enough to be independent. Yes. None of, we all probably thought we could live alone at 14. Yeah. But would have struggled. You just, and, you've, and very naive. So her family were concerned about this and didn't want anyone taking advantage of Gemma as they knew she was an easy target. Gemma kept her life quite secret and told her family very little even when they came to visit, she wouldn't allow them into her flat. There was a reason for this though. It was because she didn't want to face the embarrassment of her family seeing the flat. Because of her disability and the way she would think, it wouldn't come as naturally to Gemma to do everyday things as we would see essential, such as personal hygiene and the general upkeep of her flat. I did see pictures of the place that Gemma was living in and I'm not gonna sugarcoat it, it was bad. Worse than my bedroom. I've not seen your bedroom in a while. Haven't you just cleaned it? Yeah, I've just cleaned it, but I'm thinking prior to that. And there's a reason you haven't seen my bedroom prior to that. <laughs> um, yeah, this was bad. As in, like, bless her, it's not her fault, obviously. But it showed a picture of her bed and there was, like, a big... Like, her bed sheets were, I think, white. And there was a big black stain over, like, the bed sheets and the pillowcase. It looked like mould. And there was just, like, rubbish everywhere. It's like, it looked like a hoarder's flat. Such a shame. Like, she's just been... Like, like you say, it's not her fault. She's yeah. been, let, like, just poorly let down. Mm-hmm. Not even by her family, though. Like, yeah. by, like you say, by the government, people like that. So, yeah, the reason I mentioned about the state of her house was just because I need you to be aware and get a fuller understanding of Gemma's condition. Mm. She clearly wasn't capable of living alone and is a vulnerable person, was a vulnerable person. Struggling to make friends throughout her life, Gemma feels very lucky when she finally meets someone who seems to actually want to be her friend. Gemma's new friend was 22-year-old Chantelle Booth. Gemma's family were very happy and elated and comforted in the fact that Gemma had a friend and someone to keep her company. They were happy to hear Gemma was now able to go out and socialise for a drink or just go to someone else's house for a coffee. They knew this would have been good for Gemma's confidence and mental health. 
The fact that someone was giving Gemma the attention she would see everyone else getting would make her extremely happy. Gemma's family thought very highly of Chantelle at the beginning of their friendship. Even though they knew she was a bit younger than Gemma, they knew she would have been mentally more mature. They said that she was a very caring girl and clearly saw something in Gemma that not many people did. At first, Gemma's family thought it might be her personality that drew um, Chantelle to become friends with Gemma. Sadly, it wasn't until too late, however, that they'd find out why Chantelle had really befriended Gemma. As time passed, it became apparent that Chantelle was in fact taking money from Gemma. Chantelle was clearly taking advantage of Gemma, although Gemma wouldn't have realised this. Chantelle and others were also apparently storing drugs at Gemma's flat. Who's Chantelle and the others? So, just some other friends. It seemed there was a number of people that would hang around with Chantelle. And it's use, basically Chantelle's friends. Yeah, and use Gemma's flat as a come and go, just like a commun- basically a community centre, as they wished. You better not use my flat like that. Absolutely not, take <laughs> <laughs> Um I'm too respective. Respective? Oh. Yeah, respectful. God, I need to go back to school. <laughs> so yeah, they were using her flat, just basically using Gemma, and Gemma just could not see this. She just wanted friends, and the fact that people were giving her attention was more than enough. Gemma would have done anything to keep her friends, even if it meant losing out on most of her money. A psychologist added, because Gemma hadn't had any previous friendships, she had no understanding of how one would typically work or knew any sort of boundaries about what might have been right or wrong. She also reiterated, no matter how bad the friendship was, it was more important for Gemma to have a friend and be liked than to not have one at all. It was Saturday the 7th of August 2010 and Gemma had spent the day with her mum before heading out on a night out with Chantelle and four other friends. Gemma seemed happy and to be looking forward to the night out and departed her mum's house with a spring in her step. As she left, she gave her mum a kiss on the cheek and told her how much she loved her and that she would no doubt see her very soon. At 11.30 that night, Gemma, Chantelle and the rest of their friends well, should we say Gemma's friends, eh, sorry, Chantelle's friends, were seen on CCTV cameras in the city centre. The CCTV actually picked up some slight commotion at the time as it began to zoom in on the group. You can see two of the males from the group being verbally aggressive towards Gemma and both seem to be agitated with her. They can be seen getting very close to Gemma in a threatening manner. Gemma tries to back away from the men and looks very intimidated. She has no personal space and she's basically backed up against a window and is clearly not doing anything to provoke the guys. She seemed afraid. Chantelle can be seen at the edge of the shot not doing anything to defuse the situation and is just laughing at the entire ordeal. This is just so sad because she probably doesn't understand what's going on or why these people she believes to be her friends are like just mocking her. that would feel to you, for example. Like, that situation wouldn't be nice for anyone. Yeah. For someone in Gemma's position, it's just ten times worse. Yeah, I just, I can just, not that I can relate, but I can just, Im- only, well, I can only imagine how she's feeling. And she's probably, like, laughing it off, being like, oh, this is what friends are doing. Like, they, they would literally just be mean to her for no apparent reason, just because they felt power against her. Yeah. And that she was just so vulnerable. Yeah, it was just sad to listen to watch all of this unfold. 
So sometime later and in a different location in the city centre, you can see Chantelle pushing and shoving Gemma, being physically abusive. She acts as though she's in charge of Gemma and abuses Gemma's trust. Gemma is clearly a vulnerable person, yet none of the group seem to care. Moments later, they leave her on her own in the town centre as they all walk away from Gemma. It just seems to me that they are slowly beating Gemma down and putting her in her place, so to speak. It really was so sad doing this research because you can see it happening in front of your eyes that they were just beating her down, yet she didn't have a clue. I know you said um, she was younger than Gemma. Do you know how old they were? Yeah, so Gemma was uh, Gemma was 27. Yeah. Chantelle was 22. And this is like, I mean, not that it's acceptable in a playground either, but just like, it's like playground bullying. Yeah. Like things you'd expect of kids that haven't learnt better yet. Yeah. Like, That's... I thought you, I mean, not that it's acceptable at like 16 or 17, but you just 22, to... like, yeah. come on. Because I was in, I'm not going to lie, I, I, there was an incident at high school where I was in with a group of people and the group of people started to pick on this one individual who they thought were her friends, but they picked on her purely because she was the most vulnerable one, because she couldn't stick up for herself. And they were just making her do things and to watch. It honestly scarred me for life to watch it. And at the time, I didn't do anything. They weren't being like making her eat dirt or anything. They were just like kind of pushing her around and laughing at her. And it just reminds me of that. That's why I feel like I can, oh, I don't want to say relate to this a little bit, but. You understand the situation. Yeah. But and then just at the time, how horrible I didn't do they anything. Must ab- be as people. Yeah, I didn't do anything about it because I was myself intimidated by these people. Yeah. She was friends with them, um, but that doesn't make it any better. This girl. Um, yeah, but they didn't do anything. They didn't hurt her physically. Hurt her probably mentally did. Yes, and it affected me. So, where we are? Oh yeah. So they are slowly beating Gemma down, and it feels somewhat how they train circus animals to get them to do what they want. This is what I thought of it anyway. In a bit of research, someone said it was just what a loyal animal would do. That you could kick it and it would just stay by your side. These people clearly did not see Gemma as a friend. Just really horrible people. Yeah. Almost probably, like, more naive than Gemma was. Definitely. She to not consider the implications that has on someone else. To be so selfish. I think because they didn't see her as being on their level. So they just see it, saw her as being just being less of a person, which meant they could treat her in any kind of way because the way she acted meant she didn't have the same feelings, feelings as them. So on Monday the 9th of August at 7am, just two days after the CCTV of Gemma being abused by her friends in the town centre, a female body was found by an old railway track, not too far from Rugby Town Centre. Not surprising, as I'm sure you're probably already assuming, the body was in fact that of Gemma. Her body was found naked, face down, and had been severely beaten. Her family had to identify Gemma um, to be 100% sure it was actually her. Her mum said she was unrecognisable and described Gemma's face as looking like it had been used for a target practice. It was so badly bruised. A murder investigation was immediately started to get to the bottom of Gemma's horrendous death and to find out what inhumane person slash people were capable of such acts. Police started to try and piece together Gemma's movements over the past couple of days 
to try and figure out what led to this truly heinous crime. Police trawled through CCTV footage from around the areas of the city centre, Gemma's flat and the location of Gemma's body to see what they could find. They'd come across Gemma with a group of five individuals on CCTV walking around parts of the city. The timing of this would have been just hours before Gemma's murder. One of the females she was with was identified as her so-called best friend, Chantelle. Chantelle and the other four suspects were tracked down and taken into police custody for questioning. The other four individuals that were brought in for questioning were Duncan Edwards, who was 19, Joe Boyer, who was 18, his girlfriend Jessica Linus, who was 19, and Chantelle's boyfriend, Daniel Newstead, who was 20. Police managed to find 27 individual CCTV recordings from the night of Gemma's death and managed as best they could to piece all these together to create a timeline of her final hours. By Thursday 12th of August, just three days after Gemma's body was found, all five suspects were charged with the murder of Gemma, presuming they had done it as they were with Gemma so close to the time of her murder. When Gemma's family were informed about the arrest and charging of Gemma's friends, they were in utter shock. They couldn't comprehend that Gemma's apparent best friend, someone who the family had trusted and who Gemma had adored, could have done such a thing. Before the news, the family just thought it might have been someone who had seen Gemma on the street, seeing she was clearly vulnerable and just taken advantage of her. This was far too close to home for them. How could they have not seen this coming? It became apparent that this must have been going on for quite some time right under their noses, and they had been blindsided by the fact that Gemma had friends. Whilst group were in custody, they were described as being playful and laughing and joking to each other, not taking in the severity of their situation. To me, this reads guilty already, as I believe if they were um, not guilty, they'd be doing all they can to help the police understand that they had the wrong people and trying to help them find Gemma's killer. Yeah, because if they were with her so near to her death, they must know something of her movements that night, yeah. So Which would, they would want to help with, surely. Yeah. Meant to be her friends. And they showed very little respect, like no respect, because they were laughing. And it, this was like so immature. two days after she had been found murdered, brutally murdered. We were talking about her mental age, but you just think, they have like the mental age of a five-year-old acting yeah. like that. In custody, the suspects all started to blame each other but were all clearly guilty as none of them had a duty of care to Gemma. If they did, they wouldn't have stood back and watched what happened to her in the lead-up to Gemma's horrific death, which I will eventually get to. Also, if they were her friend and they knew she was vulnerable and they were with her that evening, they'd have walked her home Mm. or something like that. Well, funny you should say that because we got onto that, so it's quite controversial, the whole walking home thing. Yeah, it's weird that you said that. But where? coming to that now. On June 8th, 2011, at Warwick Crown Court, almost a year after Gemma's body was discovered, Duncan Edwards, Joel Boyer, Jessica Linus, Daniel Newstead and Chantal Booth were charged with the murder of Gemma. They all pleaded not guilty. In court, the timeline of Gemma's final day was put together and read out. This is what happened. Gemma was seen leaving her flat on CCTV that fatal Sunday. August 9th, 2010. She was on her way to see Chantelle. Once Gemma had got to the flat, 
The suspects were apparently all there waiting for Gemma. She was being lured into a trap, or better still, a torture chamber. When she arrived, they were all intoxicated with drugs and alcohol. Instead of being welcomed by who she thought were her friends, she would be subjected to a day of abuse and torture. What I'm about to tell you is just some of the sadistic ways in which they tortured Gemma, which were revealed in court. So I'm going to start off with another quote. And this was her mum, and her mum described her beating, saying they had beaten the hell out of Gemma. And it was said that her nose was so badly broken, it was practically no longer attached to her face. I'm not entirely sure how this is possible, but I don't want to even imagine it, to be honest with you. It was thought that they had done this by bouncing her head off a radiator. There was more evidence to show she had been badly beaten at the property, as quite a large amount of her blood had been splattered around multiple rooms. One of the items used to beat Gemma was a mop. If the beatings weren't enough to satisfy the sick minds of these people, two of the males decided to urinate in a can and force Gemma to drink the contents. At some point, they had taped her up with duct tape so she could barely breathe. She must have been scared beyond belief. All this girl wanted was to be liked. I cannot express the words to say how sorry I feel for her. This has to be one of the most cruel crimes I've ever researched, honestly. So at just before midnight, Chantelle and the others told Gemma that they would walk her home. Even despite everything she had been put through that day, Gemma still wants to be a part of their group and wants their help, so she agrees to let them walk her home. Even after all the shit she had been put through that day, she still believed that the group wanted to walk her back home to make sure she was safe. So they put her through all this trauma, beat her up badly, and she believes that they just want in the best for her to be safe and to get home safely. At this point, uh, no matter how scared Gemma was about walking home alone, um, she definitely would be more safe than being walked with these absolute animals. A psychologist mentioned that for most people in this situation, when given the opportunity to run and break free from it, they would do so at the first given moment. But she said that Gemma didn't do this because her desire to belong and just be normal outweighed her desire to survive. If this was me or you, for instance, and somebody came at us or attacked us, um, we would have the will to at least make the decision to fight or flight. Like we'd know, just instinct would kick in, we'd know yeah. to run or just to hit back. Whereas Gemma didn't have this. This attack was described as being more than a hate crime because Gemma would have no opportunity to respond or react. She couldn't comprehend that these people would want to harm her. She just believed that they were friends and that's what friends do. I can't comprehend it either. Me neither. Like why? Why? This is what always baffles me with like nearly every crime that we talk about is just why it's what do they what were they gonna gain it feels like it's that? like a control thing because they can just do what she wants can they that she's willing to like they can control her money they've been taking her money from her they just go around use her house just it's like a player thing it's like they do not see her as being a human up. it's just so the group were picked up walking on cctv apparently walking Gemma home the five suspects all had their hoods up clearly trying to hide their identities knowing what they had done and what they were about to do wasn't right. Gemma can be seen walking a few paces behind the group, isolated and alone. When the camera zoomed into Gemma, you could clearly see she had a bloody nose. She was beaten and in pain, 
and she could barely keep up with the group. She was that injured. As she was walking behind them, you could see it was hard for her to walk and looked as though she might have been limping a little bit. As she walked past a post on the CCTV, um, she had to hold on to the post for a short while to stable herself. She was captured stopping a number of times after this to rest, leaning on things such as a wall to help stable herself, clearly showing the discomfort she was in as they continued to walk. And I've seen this CCTV footage and it's just, ugh, just like, you can't comprehend what's going on. You can't, honestly. She clearly knows what's happened to her and she's walking with these people and she can, yeah, you just, I'll show you it. This CCTV footage would be the last to capture Gemma alive. Little did she know it, but Gemma was being walked to her death. She was led out of Rugby Town Centre and down to this disused railway track where her body was found. There was no CCTV cameras operating in the area. Six of them had walked into the disused area, but only five of them would walk out. They had lured Gemma towards the tracks by telling her it was a shortcut to her house. Once they were out of sight of any potential witnesses, the group took it in turns to beat Gemma. This consisted of some kicks to the head, as evidence shows that she had a boot mark on her face. She was also stabbed in the back of the neck. Police were unaware of who did what and the exact actions of this crime. Gemma then either was told to strip or they took her clothes off her themselves, then proceeded to put bin liners over her head leaving her to die. Gemma did not die immediately though and would have eventually suffocated on her own blood from the nose injury. The court were baffled as to why these people did this to her. It was inhumane and incomprehensible. They had zero motive. They purely preyed on her as a victim because she was trustworthy and vulnerable. This was all a joke to them, a position of power. They didn't see Gemma as even being human because she was different, it was as though she wasn't as important as anyone else and they could do with her as they pleased. So later the group were seen heading back into town centre, but this time around Gemma was nowhere to be seen. They seemed to not have a care in the world, all the suspects were as guilty as each other as if they denied being involved. No one of them had even tried to make contact with the emergency services to report the incident, proving that they had no remorse or care for Gemma's well-being. It's actually disgusting. Mm. During the entire trial, the suspects showed zero respect to the court and to Gemma's family. They would laugh and pass notes to each other, not taking in the severity of what on earth was going on. It wasn't until they were all finally sentenced and told how long each of them would serve that their smiles soon dropped from their arrogant faces. While sentencing them one by one, the judge laid into them, truly depicting and telling them what type of chilling and sickening humans they were. She apparently annihilated them with her words. Good. So they were all charged and Chantel received a minimum of 21 years in prison. Doesn't even feel like enough. No. Daniel, Chantel's boyfriend, received 20 years. They're halfway through that now. Oh yes. Oh yeah, that's right. I didn't think of that. Um, Joe received 16 years and Duncan and Jessica both got convicted of manslaughter and received 15 years each. So they've only got five years left. Yeah, 
I, I, I honestly didn't think of this. I was too traumatised. Until this moment, all five of them believed that they were probably going to get away with what they had done because they'd already served a year because they were being kept in prison until the trial. They thought they were basically going to get released. When they were sentenced, they all broke down with the realisation of how long they would be locked away for. Which is probably not long enough. How can they be surprised at that? Who knows, Katie? They clearly... Their mind works in very different ways to ours, so... And they thought she was the one... Like, they thought Gemma was the one that... You know, whose mind worked differently and was naive in some respects. And yet, actually, they've displayed, obviously in different ways, their own naivety. Yeah, stupidity. Yeah. Stupid. This was just horrible. There's nothing worse, because you talk about other murders, and murder, obviously, isn't good, and we should never rank them, but the fact that most people are able to try and at least fight back and try and get out of the situation. Because if anyone else was in this situation, no one would put with this from the start, so it would never have gotten to this point. Yeah. It's the fact that well, it, just it was able like, to get to this point. She followed them. Yeah. She followed to them to her death. death. Yeah. And I'll show you the videos in a second. It's really, it's horrible. Like, she's just walking behind them, and I can just, you can just see, like, she just wants to be wanted. People have beat her up. She's drunk, she's, they've made her drink urine, and she's still following them. Her brother said that um, it's not justice and that the fact that they, yeah, they've been sent away for 20 years, but they'll still be able to have, they'll still have a birthday, they'll still have this, they'll still have that. And her brother said um, he just wants to be locked in a room with each of them individually and then he'll, they'll see what justice is, which is fair enough, I guess. You just, like, you know, like, other murders, that one murderer or, like, maybe two... Like a husband and wife or something like that. But to get five... Was it five? Yeah, five, five people, people all as disgusting as the next. Mm-hmm. Blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the fact that they can find individuals that n- not one of them was willing to pull out. Like, it got to a point where they beat her up and they were all willing to technically try and pretend to walk her home. Knowing full well that they were going to be doing... You would think at least one person would pull out of that. We're going to kill her now. On, let's not do that. Even if they didn't, like, obviously you'd like to have hoped that one of them would have told the police or, like, help protect her. But even if they didn't do that, even if they just decided not to be part of it, mm. even if they yeah. never said anything, but all five of them, just that there's five people all as horrible as each other. Yeah, I understand, yeah. I just... It blows my mind. And sometimes what I try and do is I think about where I was in my life at the age of these people. So, for instance, Chantelle was 20 bloody two. 22, I just graduated college. And I always think, like, oh, what was like on a mature level? And then I'm like, oh, was they, are they mature enough not to kill someone? But the, you're more than mature at any age to me to know that is bad. Like, yeah, you can't no, do that. At no part in your life would you have thought that was acceptable. Yeah, no part in your life at all. Um, so that's what I try and do. I always put, try and stuff. Oh, what was I doing at twenty-two? How did I feel then? But Gemma wouldn't have done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she obviously knew different and and thought they were her friends, but she would have never done that to another person. Yeah, not at all. Anyway, um, on that note, I think we better leave it because we could go on for hours. 
Yeah, um, we could literally talk about how horrible these people are for ages. We'll wrap this up now. So, when unsure of when our next episode of Cake and Crime with Jack and Katie will be out, because <laughs> I am going to do a special recording for our next release, which will be Cake and Crime with Jack and his extended family, Cake and Crime with us. Um, <laughs> going on the news earlier, that me and Katie are sadly departing ways with regards to living with each other. <laughs> Shed a tear, I know. Um, He's the one crying, but it's his fault. Yeah. But we will be back for sure. Who knows if it's going to be before Christmas or, be, or after Christmas, but we'll keep you updated on our Instagram. So check that out at Cake and Crime Podcast. And yeah, thanks for listening to us, guys. We will be back in the not so distant future, I'm sure. So thank you for listening and ciao for now. Ciao for now.